All right, well, welcome. We are on to some one-offs. Well, we have a one-off today, and then we think we have a five-off. It's going to be all over the place. So this is kind of, we did abortion for three weeks, and then this is a, a one-off ethical study on war. We thought it was timely for the headlines. And then Emmanuel is going to be starting a five-week series on Hezekiah, and I think there's a couple weeks he won't be there. So we're going to figure it out as we uh, back and forth a little bit. And then when we get into May and June, we'll be, be full up ethics for a while. So these all kind of build on each other. So the question asking in this is, should a Christian ever support war? And obviously with all the headlines going on in Ukraine, it's something that's on your mind, it's on your neighbor's minds. And so this is a great chance to, to be equipped to be able to talk about these things and also for you to think through them. So first thing I did before I studied this week on this stuff, I haven't looked at this in a long time, is I kind of did the little columns that we did the last few weeks. And so without a lot of specifics, I just kind of knew what are the biblical things I'm going to have to think through on this? Um, How much do you apply Old Testament Israel to U.S. policy, right, to modern nation states? Is that applicable or even to the church? Um, How much, what does the Bible say about personal morality versus what I can do as, as part of a legitimate government authority. What, which commands in the Bible apply to me as an individual, but don't necessarily apply to me as a, you know, as a military member or a judge or a policeman or something like that. What about the church world distinction? And obviously Christians have different views on these things, but um, maybe it's, quote, okay for a secular state to wage violence, but should Christians be part of that? Is that a Christian ethic? How much does this relate to capital punishment? Um, We're going to look at Romans 13, which in my mind is easier to use for capital punishment, maybe not as easy to use for war, i.e. violence within your own borders as a legitimate authority versus violence outside your borders against other legitimate authorities. That's a little more complicated, right? And just in general, trusting God for safety, a lot of your, your reasons you might say, well, we need to be able to inflict violence because I might get hurt or I might die. And there is a biblical principle to say, well, that's okay, right? Your body's not your own and trust God for safety. So there, there's some biblical categories there to think through. On the secular side, which by, I don't mean like scientific per se, I, I mean philosophical and moral just from less biblical arguments like we've been looking at. You know, this, this gets complicated. How do you predict lightly outcomes? Do you go to war or not? It really has to do with what you think a ruler might do or, or how successful your campaign could be. All sorts of things that the Bible isn't going to directly help us with to, you know, look at political philosophy or, or get to know your enemy type of things. Which secular government is less evil? That's a tough one, right? So you've got multiple authorities, presumably legitimate authorities out there going to war with each other. And how do you as a Christian or we as a church or what prophetic voice we want to have to our country, what, what do we say on that? Like, how, do we know if Russia or Ukraine is more in the right? Is it possible that you would have people legitimately fighting for their legitimate authorities against each other? Those two could even be Christians killing each other. Does that make any sense? And then it, like for someone like me or, you know, again, any kind of policymaker, judge, police, Anywhere in government, at some point, you're, you're part of it, or you're somewhat complicit. For, for, for sure, for me as a military member, that's a big decision. Is it, am, I, am I willing to put myself 
in the position where I'm trusting non-Christians, maybe not even non-moral people, making some pretty big life and death decisions. And maybe it's easier for me, but what if I lived in Russia or in Iran and I'm a Christian? How do you expect Christians there to, to live? I'm not trying to make this just the U.S. context. There's technology we can talk about. Nuclear war blows out of the water, limited warfare in a sense, right? On the other hand, we have such precise weapons that you really can avoid civilian populations. How much does that come into play? International law, again, authority versus authority. Who's the authority overall? Is there such thing as international law? Is that just a, a fiction? And then, of course, domestic and defense spending. Like, how do you love your neighbor? Is it better to take money that you could help feed the poor to protect them against a potential enemy? Again, those are all very good moral questions that the Bible, in my mind, is not going to directly address. It's going to give us some principles, hopefully. Let's go ahead and pray as we get into this. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We know it is sufficient for all that we need, but we also know it doesn't answer every specific question um, as explicitly as maybe we want. So help us to learn to know your word and apply it in these specific situations. Help us to be equipped not only for our own minds, how we might vote for things, uh, maybe our children are thinking about going into the military or some occupation like that, um, but also how we might um, be able to talk to our neighbor, particularly. As one, people want to talk about the headlines, we pray that we would bring the gospel to bear. Uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the, I think I've hit the capital punch. Yeah, so I really, in one way, I could have done capital punishment first, kind of made that case, because I feel like that case has to be solid before you go to war. Or if I can prove my position on war, capital punishment automatically comes in. So just because of the nature, the timing of everything in the headlines, we, th I, we decided to jump right to war. Um, I don't know if we'll go back and do capital punishment specifically. Clearly, a lot of what I'm going to talk about will apply to capital punishment as well. So basically, there's a big spectrum, and these are a spectrum of Christian views, not just any views. There are Christians in history who have been all over the map on what they would allow. So at the very extremes, we would say no war and total war. Um, and and there, there are Christians who would go to the far left there, no war. I don't know if there would be a Christian who would truly go to all, all war, but relative to what we're going to call just war, there, there's a lot less limitations put on it. And so basically, you, your big isms would be pacifism and, and then activism for total war. And then in the middle, some kind of nuanced position. And again, it's a spectrum. These aren't three discrete bins. Somehow, war is justified in some cases, but now we have to be selective about which ones we engage in. And then among those, you're going to see people say, okay, war is justified if it's self-defense. Someone has invaded my country. I'm allowed to go to war. God is okay with that. Others would say, well, I can, yes, that, but also if, if it's, attack is imminent, I can make a, you know, a preemptive attack, we call it, um, because if I don't, I'm going to end up in a self-defense situation. It would be better to catch my enemy by surprise, so I'd be okay with that. And others would say, my country's not at risk, but I see some injustice in the world. I want to love my neighbor around the globe. I'm going to go take action against the hostile nation. And there'd be some Christians who say, no, you've, you've stepped out of your bounds of your legitimate authority at this point. You'll have to follow the handout there. If you don't have one, we have some now in the back. I don't know if this, how much this is going to go in and out. All right, so 
In the middle, I have just war. So you saw that selectivism in the middle. So in my mind, just wars would be no problem with self-defense, not much problem with the preventive type of war of an imminent attack. And then somewhere in the crusade category, somewhere, somewhere in, we can't get involved in everywhere out there, somewhere in that spectrum of conflict, just war is going to start to have some real problems with. And again, it's a spectrum. It's just a way of denoting, sorry, you've lost the, uh, if we can airdrop it, that's possible too. Oh. Yeah, okay. All right, just go with your hand out then. If it comes back, let me know, because I may not notice. Greg is putting in a lot of work on this new technology, so <laughs> please bear with us as we're, we're trying our best to get this figured out. Um, all right, so let's talk about active, activism, or what would be total war, or what could lead to total war. So I basically have a series of pluses and minuses you'll see on your handout that I'm going to say, basically, compared to just war, there are things we agree with from activism on the far right of your spectrum. And then there are things from passes we agree with. And then there's going to be things we disagree with. So we'll start with the pluses for activism. The things that just war would agree with with activism is, first of all, we don't see murder as the same as all killing. So when Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not murder, if that murder means you should not ever kill ever as a Christian, then the pacifists have won. There, there really is no debate. And it's fair that they go there, right? But for example, Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. So God has declared there are at least some times that men are to take the lives of other men. So there, you can't say that all killing is, is murder against the Ten Commandments because God clearly condones it in the case. And that is one of our big verses for capital punishment. Secondly, Israel was commanded to wage war. So at le you have to at least say, at least Israel had the right to wage war. So you can't say all war is wrong. Joshua 8, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho and its king. He said to go take it, go destroy this nation. I, it's a legitimate authority, right? If you go to Romans 13, there's an authority established on earth and God commands Israel to fight and kill. And thirdly, we would agree with activism that the New Testament grants government the power of the sword and that is Romans 13. And it's just, we have to read it. We, I know we've talked about it a lot in some of our topics, but it's just too crucial so Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities and resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who has authority? Then do what is good, and you receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, this is the important one. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So this authority that has been instituted by God bears a sword that you're supposed to be afraid of. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The government authority is a servant of God, a deacon of God. 
technically. And he carries out God's wrath by use of this sword. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, atoning to this very thing. So even when you get into some kind of a Christian-inspired political philosophy, at the very least, we pay taxes to support at least the one legitimate thing that a government does is, is defense, right? Is to, to bear the sword. Now, there's a question, like I said, that is this only talking about more police powers within your borders of your authority, or does this extend outside? I, I can just off the cuff now see that a Christian could easily be for capital punishment, but against war. I can see where they would get there in these verses. All right, so on the negative side, where just war would not uh, agree with activism or would want to put some limits is if you turn back to Old Testament Israel, you, you prove too much because what the activists will tell you, what is this limited war you're telling me about? Look at Israel. When God commanded a war, so it was clearly moral, it was clearly just, at least sometimes they just wreaked havoc, right? There was, in fact, they were sinning if they spared anyone, man, woman, child. Joshua 8, we read, will go on later in the chapter, verse 24. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai. I hope I'm saying I right because I'm saying it a lot and stuck it struck it down with the edge of the sword and all who fell that day both men and women were 12,000 all the people of I so if we get into some kind of discrimination principles today avoid civilian populations that is not what happened in Israel and so turning just simplistically to Old Testament saying well Israel fought wars proved way too much the second thing we would disagree with, well, I say we, total war, which is what most Protestant Catholics and Eastern Church have believed through the history. I've cut out the history for the sake of time, but this is not something that we have a real big distinction on with the Catholic Church. Government submission absolves me of any personal responsibility. Now, I don't know of anyone who would actually state that as a position, but I think, well, we know every combat, every combat I've had to study in the military we know that's one of the big defenses that people have, right? Uh, people who worked uh, in the concentration camps uh, in Vietnam when they would just napalm in a whole area. Um, every conflict I know of, even the recent ones, the last 20 years that I've been in, there is a defense, well, you know, I was told to do it. My boss told me to do it, or... Now, if you, if you have in your mind some very specific, obvious situation, um, like you just, you know, plucking off kids for fun with a rifle, that's, that's not the difficult thing. There are some really, really challenging situations I could talk you through that, that people are faced. Here they go, as, as far as they can see, under a legitimate authority to do a just cause as far as the whole war effort, and there are some really hard decisions people have to make. Um, you know, it, it, at the hand-to-hand -hand combat level, at the, a child's gonna see me and alert me and kill my whole platoon, so I kill this eight-year-old boy, um, to obviously any bomb that's dropped could kill civilians. Th this is not an easy situation, but I think we would want to say on, you know, we cannot just duck under and, and give all of our responsibility away because we're working for the government. 
that's too much. And I think obviously you could say the same about the police. Anyone who's able to enact violence, if you think the Bible supports you enacting violence because it's God's authority with a sword, okay, but that's not some carte blanche thing. And that's something I think Christians who are in the military, police, whatever, have to really, have to really wrestle with. I want them to wrestle with. I want my non-Christian brothers and sisters in arms to wrestle with this. I don't want them just to think they have some badge that lets them, you know, lay waste somewhere. We would turn to have passages like Acts 4 and 5 that say, we should listen to God and not to man. At some point, God has commanded you. So again, I, I don't want to take a particular side in Sunday school, but if you're a Christian Russian pilot under a legitimate authority, you think Nazis are invading Ukraine, and you think there's a just cause, and now you're given orders to bomb a maternity ward in Ukraine. I, I'm not even going to answer it, but <laughs> it's a difficult situation, right? All right, let's look at pacifism. So now back on the left side of that, that spectrum. Um, basically, no war. And really, they, they, they would agree with me, like, if we're going to talk about war, let's talk about capital punishment. Because most pacifists would also be just pretty much nonviolent across the board. Not all. There, are, there is a spectrum of pacifists. And so we might as well talk about the moral implications of all of them. So the first thing we would agree with pacifists, or if you are just war theorist, which I'm not saying you have to be, um, the New Covenant Church is not the Old Covenant Israel. Kind of a corollary to what we saw before. By the way, neither is a secular state like, like the U.S. The U.S. is also not Old Testament Israel. So you can't just willy-nilly grab verses out and just, well, there's a nation and we have a nation, so we do this. This is where you have to have a much more sophisticated view of the differences in the covenants. And it is something we talk about a lot here because it has big implications. So there's a, you know, come to, come through a careful biblical study, come to your position on continuity and discontinuity between the covenants. Um, and now when you come to a specific situation, it will help you apply them. Just war is not a holy war. So a holy war is what Israel is doing. God has specifically commanded them to go and wage war. When we're talking about, when we get to the just war theory, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about direct commands from God to go do something, because then it's clearly moral and right to do. You know, when Abraham is commanded to kill Isaac, even though he can't understand why, how that would make sense, he obeys and he's commended for that faith. Israel is commended for going and destroying these nations, and they're, they're judged when they don't follow God. Um, and and it, it, it's hard, it's against our, our sentiments. But a just war is not the same thing as a holy war. So we, we if we're going to defend a just war, we're taking biblical principles and trying to apply them in a, in a way that we know we can't, um, we can't be sure that we're right. It's not an inerrant thought process that we go through. We're doing our best with the biblical data and then the situation in front of us trying to bring about justice in the world. But we can never claim... Say you, say you do all this and say, all right, I think it's right that I encourage my government to go set up a no-fly zone and start a shooting match with Russia. You can't say God says that's the right thing to do. That would be improper. You, can't, you have no biblical authority to say such a thing, in my opinion. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, right? We've got to be careful that we don't so become 
American patriots or British patriots for my half my family, like that, that anything my country decides is now right and proper. You might say it's better than the other guy. Okay, that might be true. But again, it's not, there, there's, there are limitations at least put to it. There's no such thing as a Christian state. We could argue that another time. We, America is not a Christian nation in the sense that Israel was God's people. America is not God's people. All right, the other thing we would agree with pacifists on would be that Jesus calls us to peace, not vengeance. Uh, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will be heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so what, what drives a pacifist position is a very fair starting point. And I don't think we need to sweep it away too quickly. You know, the implications of this, the Sermon on the Mount, which we've gone through recently, th- those, are, those ought to rattle us. We, we ought to not look at that and just sweep them away so quickly that we're not willing to sacrifice for things. We ought to be willing to be persecuted and to suffer and, and to even suffer uh, pain and death. Um, we would never want our position on war to harden us and make us cold um, to where these verses don't completely apply to us. The difference we have with them, and that's my first, well, it'll be my second one. I'm out of order here. That's all right. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll have a contrast with their position here in a second. Okay. One thing that pacifists would say would be that, like in Matthew 19, do you remember when um, they asked Jesus about divorce and why did Moses permit divorce? And he said, well, because of hardness of heart, God permitted it. But it wasn't really his intention from the beginning. So they don't have an explicit test, but pacifists would view war and violence in that context that yes, Israel engaged in a war, and yes, there's a, yes, violence is gonna happen in our fallen age until Jesus comes again, but that's not the way it was supposed to be. That, that's what they would say. Our counter to that would be Hebrews 11. When you read Hebrews 11, 26 to 28, it talks about by faith they went and conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, you know, they, they went to battle. And, and so these, these Old Testament heroes who went to battle were not, were not just because of hardness of heart. On the contrary, it's they, they were doing this by faith. So they're actually commended for their faith for engaging in war. So we wouldn't agree with the pacifists on that, that this is just some remnant sin that we have to put up with. No, we, we would say there is still legitimately a chance that by faith you could engage in violence of some sorts. The second thing a pacifist say that we would disagree with would be, um, so, so this is where they go, Jesus calls us to absolute personal nonviolence. So I know we can make a distinction, and we ought to on the personal level, and then what we would do as a government official, 
But let, let's stick with the personal. We don't even agree with pacifists at this level. Most of us, anyway. So they would see something like Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. And, and goes on and on. You know, takes your tunic, give, give him more. You shall love, you, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who pursue you. So I, I can read those verses and I do feel the weight of the pacifist or the nonviolence approach to a Christian ethic. I can completely see why um, someone listening to God and wanting to honor God in these verses would even go so far as not to defend their own life. They might even go so far as not to defend their family's life. And they'd say, I'm trusting God, right? But that's the challenge. You know, I would want to ask someone like this. So you could see your wife getting raped across the room. You have a gun and you would say it's wrong to use it. Now, I can honestly see someone saying yes to that. I can understand how they get there. I don't agree with them. I, I think it's the just thing to actually stop the attack. But I, I do understand why a Christian would get there. And part of our argument there would be a lot of Matthew 5 is quite hyperbolic in its language. And we talked about this a couple years ago. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I don't think Jesus means for you to be cutting out eyes, right? So he's, he's being hyperbolic. He's trying to paint a real contrast with personal conduct in the day and what it means to be a member of his kingdom. But I wouldn't take it all that far. I'd see the book of Proverbs that way as well. It's, it's a book of wisdom in general. We could see in John 2 that Jesus drove out the money changers with a whip. That's violence. He's executing violence. Now, maybe Jesus is different from us in that, that we're not supposed to do that. Fine. But you can't say violence in itself is immoral would be part of that case. People often will turn to the cross. You know, it's, it's God's love. Everything in the new covenant is about love and grace and peace. But that's, that's a very simplistic view of the cross. God so loved the world that he did what? He killed his son. His wrath was poured out on his son. That's violence. So it, it's, it is a complex subject. Love and wrath being held together somehow. And the cross is the greatest demonstration of that. But, but it's too simplistic to say that love replaces violence, would be my argument. And then the last thing I have listed on your handout, what I disagree with the pacifist about is Romans 12 is followed by Romans 13. I already read both of those. So in Romans 12, we're said, never avenge yourself. And then in Romans 13, he says, the governing authority is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. So this is where I would see very much a distinction. Even wherever you come on your personal ethic, there's clearly a biblical distinction between the personal ethic and what you do as a legitimate authority, right? Even in cases where God has said, you will not uh, avenge, you will not commit violence in this case, he might say to a, a state authority, you may. In fact, it would be right and just for you to enact violence in this case. Now, figuring out exactly where that applies is not so easy. But I think the categories are biblically supportable. In Luke 3, soldiers come to John the Baptist and said, what should we do? You know, this message of repentance is cutting to our hearts. 
John, what do you want us to do? Roman soldiers who are occupying Israel at this time. And what is his answer? Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. It's a little bit of an argument from silence that he doesn't tell them to, you know, drop their swords because that's not what you do in Jesus' kingdom. But I think he, he says a bit more than that. I mean, he's being content with your wages. Like he's, seems to me he's, cont- he's encouraging them to remain in their occupation, which is in <laughs> an aggressive, and you could probably say an evil empire. And even there, it seems that John is supporting Romans 13, that there's a legitimate authority that God has established. And there are other passages that would mention soldiers, like Cornelius in Acts 10. Okay, so we've looked at activism, we've looked at pacifism. Let's just bring those, bring those pluses back together, and let me just talk about just war specifically. So just war, again, it's a selectivism. It's, it's the, there are just war principles applied to help us to know how to select which wars we ought to support, be a part of, or that we can at least be permitted to be a part of. So, rewording some of them here, the first thing I'd say is sometimes personal violence is permitted. Um, It's probably always permitted to accept self-harm as an individual. You probably have that right. I I don't know. That would be a a good ethical discussion. If I choose to not stop an attacker and just let myself die, that's probably always permitted. Um, I'm not sure it's always permitted to let an attacker attack my family or my neighbor next to me. I, I think it's not just permitted, but probably the just thing to do, to do what I can to defend. God grants government the power of the sword. I don't, I don't really know a good argument against that. I did listen to a debate with a couple pacifists. They were not full-blown pacifists. They basically were more separatists. All right, the government's going to do what it's going to do. Yes, they're going to be attacked by violence, but it's not going to be by faithful Christians because Christians don't believe in violence. So you've got unbelievers defending themselves against unbelievers, and I get it. But their answer is, we just step back. We do not participate. We are not in government. They didn't think they should be in any kind of a government because you're, you're making yourself complicit with an issue in the world. And I, I could see their logic. I mean, I, I could. I, I think they have a simplistic view of some of these things, but I, I see where they got there. Yes, we ought to take extremely seriously Jesus' demands on us for sacrificial living, and maybe even dying. But I would say that this does not apply to actions taken by a legitimate authority. Uh, third thing, it is sometimes right to wage war. Not just permitted, but it's actually right to wage war, just war theory would say. Because that's what it would require to, quote, do justice, as we're commanded. When a specific situation is unclear, pacifism will always choose nonviolence to preventing injustice. So if you get a, a sticky situation like your family's being attacked by an intruder and if you feel kind of conflicted, the pacifist will lean towards nonviolence. If they're not sure when it's right to, do, to use violence, they won't use it. They would rather suffer the loss. Just war is the other way. Just war will lean into preventing injustice and they will, they will accept the murkiness of of what's right, how much violence is right, how long is violence right, but they're focused on the injustice that they have the ability to stop. So that's kind of a good distinction between the two. The New Covenant Church is not Old Covenant Israel. And again, lots of us would be all over the map on exactly where those 
uh, distinctions would lie, where that discontinuity lies, but clearly we, we don't put an equal sign between those two. There's some kind of difference. We would say our role is not to wage war as the church, right? The church is not a replacement in, of Israel or an extension of Israel in the way that we would bear arms. Israel was unique as a church state, you might say, right? As a religious authority, uh, much like an Islamic state would be. You know, they bind the political, the geopolitics together with the faith. And we, now we have had Christians. In fact, our own Westminster Confession has changed quite a bit on this over time. There are Christians in history, and even today, who would want to meld those two together. By and large, we as Protestants don't see that. At least in the Western church. I don't know what the Eastern church would say. They're not Protestants, though. Um, now, our, our, our role as a church might be to be a prophetic voice to our nation's leaders. That's another topic to deal with biblically. And Christians are, are all over the map on that one, too. Do we just stay in our huddle? I don't mean that in a bad way. Concentrate on the gospel? Let individuals make these choices? Or does the church, should Tim be out there on radio announce, you know, shows giving a, a Christian position? He'll say no. I'll, I'll speak for him. We would say that Christians are permitted in principle to be the member of the government and the military, but they must not be uncritical of the orders that they're given. That's not easy to carry out, I can tell you. I'm, I'm given a target. How do I know it's just target? How on earth will I know dropping a bomb from 2,000 miles away? I mean, am I willing to just give that up? Is that, is that right for me to do? Do I have to demand more answers? If I'm gonna be put in a hard situation, should I not join that military? Because I might be put in a pretty bad situation one day. So tough choices. Jesus calls us to peace, not vengeance. So peace should be preferred to war as a general principle. Just war is going to say that. Peace is the preference, and it's the goal. You go to war to establish peace, we'll see. Um, even, even in the way we wage war, we're not after vengeance, just war would say. Even if it's right, when it's right, there, there's a goal and there's a means to go through. So the goal and the means must be justice, not vengeance. Okay, so now we'll look at actual just war. Should be near the bottom of your handout now, I assume. So just war has two pieces. Is it a just cause? Why are you going to war? And is it a just means? How are you waging that war? So selectivism would be the why you're going, right? What kind of wars are proper and right and just? And then when you go to war, how do you conduct yourselves? That's what just war theory uh, covers. So first, again, remember we had self-defense, a preventative attack, and a crusade against evil. So people who hold the just war might fall out in different places there. Even as a general category, there would be some that say, yes, war is right and just. They can bring all the Romans 13, Genesis 9, everything I've just said, but they would limit it to the point of just pure self-defense. And others would say, no, we can, we can go around the globe. We can, you know, liberate Iraq and Kuwait or whatever as a category. Now, specific wars, I'm not trying to tie that to actual specific decisions. I'm just trying to use examples you might be familiar with. Okay, so here's some of the, and we won't take the time to tie each one of these to a specific Bible verse, but I, I think they're pretty, pretty straightforward. These seem pretty reasonable, um, if nothing else, and there's been volumes and volumes written on this. This started with Thomas Aquinas, really, on how much he, he was trying to get to some of these details. 
So number one, you need a legitimate authority. That's clear. You can't just decide, I'm going to do this and call it war, and now it's just war because I have a right cause. No, you need some kind of legitimate authority. It needs to be the last resort. Again, peace is the option. Have you tried everything else? Have you been willing to let your gas prices shoot through the roof to avoid war? Right? There's things that you ought to sacrifice and do um, and save war for a last resort. It's the only way to get to peace. The right intent is a lasting peace. So again, this is, this is the idea of a short-term pain, short-term suffering for some long-term gain. I mean, it's almost like you might view per- parental discipline, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give violence to my child on their behind because it's going to be for their good and for their lasting peace and comfort. Um, again, you don't, it's not about revenge. You're there to do justice, so you have to have a clear view of what justice means in this situation, a clear pathway to get there, and that's what all your aims go to. Some would say that peace isn't just the absence of war, but the presence of human freedoms like speech and worship. Or some kind of guaranteed life, food, health, etc. This gets a little hard. What is just? Um, when, when do a people need to be liberated? Because they're suffering starvation? Because they're being put in jail without trial? Like, how much do we hold another nation to our Western ideals? This is hard. And I know we all think of this at some American context. I mean, think about a Christian in Iran or a Christian in Babylon. Like, you've got to think about the church. The Bible goes to all of these Christians, right? It doesn't presume some, some ideal situation. I will tell you, I take great comfort uh, in the military I was part of in the sense of, as I'm reading the Just War stuff this week, I'm like, I feel like I'm 30 years ago in my first semester at the Air Force Academy. We, we were trained in this stuff in the Princes of War. I didn't know it came from Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> I didn't know it came from a Christian tradition, but it, that's exactly how we've been influenced. Like, we, we had to memorize these lists. Like, this is how you will wage war. And every conflict I've been in, we have rules of engagement. We have a law, law of unarmed combat brief. Like, if anything, I think they're too conservative, right? Sometimes you're like, you're tying my hands. It's gonna be hard to win this war. Um, I'm not saying they're always right for sure, but. I w- it would be a lot harder to be in some other country. Um, I can tell you that, I think. And then we have to weigh the costs of war versus the probability of success. As one writer put it, an unwinnable war is not just. So that kind of comes back to that biblical and secular categories. Okay, I have the right to wage war here. There's an, a biblical, clearly biblical injustice going on. But if I can't really stop it, if, if more of my people are going to get killed fighting this war, is that then the just and the right thing to do? So there's a practicality element there that's going to get back to our secular knowledge to be able to make those decisions. And then just means how do we wage war? So th- at least three there. The first thing would be proportionality. So you, you need to wage war in proportion to the threat, in proportion to what it would take to win the war. You, you know, if, if you're going to go, I don't know, no idea liberate people from Cuba. You don't need to go drop a nuclear bomb, right? I, there's, there, there, and that's just a gross oversimplification. That's the kind of stuff I dealt with a lot of my career was, all right, here's our threat, this specific very tactical day, what are we gonna do? I told a story the other week about waiting four hours for this guy to be clear in a field so we didn't hurt anybody else. Like, we have the technology to do that, so why not use it, right? We're trying to be very specific. Um, 
the cure can't be worse than the disease. And that's something like, I know there's a big debate on, from the politicians right now, is it worth waging war against Russia? I'm like, well, what, what are the long-term consequences of that? Like, okay, you might do something in the short term. What will that mean in the long term? Military necessity, again, military targets. We, we are very much not <laughs> like Israel. We would avoid killing women and children, and we should, and we, it, it would be the just thing to do. What targets are necessity? A maternity ward is not a military target. Now, this gets hard. When Al-Qaeda put their you know, AAA defenses on top of a school and hospital, what do you do with that? You know, Israel and Palestine, that happens. That's, that, that's very challenging. They've just made themselves a military target. Um, should, we, should we just say, okay, we're okay now because it fits our definition, or no, even though they're evil regime, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna not you know, shoot down that target. Proportionality, military necessity, and the last one would be discrimination. No direct intentional attacks on non-combatants, and I kind of bled into that with the other one. Again, it, it's kind of like when we talked about abortion, if you're saving the life of the mother and the fetus happens to die, that's different than targeting that, that fetus um, to kill, to kill the, the baby in the womb. Um, it would be the same here. We know that every bomb drop, every bullet that's shot has the risk of hurting a civilian. There's no way around that. There will always be risk. Um, and so, but again, what is the intent? How direct can you be? How much should you invest before a war to have the technology to be precise? I mean, I'm seeing some of the stuff now from Russia. It's, they don't have the precision weapons that we have. Like, they're just back to like, not as bad as World War II, but you, you know, there's stats out there like took 200 bombs in World War II to, to destroy one bridge. And today it takes one because we can make sure it's gonna hit. And so when civilians are involved, do you just kind of take the weapons you have? Because there it is, or should you be trying to have the technology to do better? All right, so the challenges here. I don't know how much time we'll have for conversation, but here's some challenges. What is a legitimate authority? I mean, I think that's a really hard one. Can any, like, we have terrorist groups now declaring themselves as authority. Are they? Now, I'm not, you're not going to be a Christian in Al-Qaeda, so maybe we're not going to face that situation, but um, what, what do you see as a legitimate authority? Is there such thing as international law? I mean, Romans... 13 and 1 Peter 2 seem, you know, the nation state is modern. It's not something the Bible knows and understands, but it just kind of presumes there are these established legitimate authorities out there. And now I think that would be really hard to, to prove what's legitimate and what's not. What, what do you think about Christians killing Christians, right? In the Civil War, you had North and South people fighting. Presumably, you have Ukraine and Russia are both Christian nations, right? Nominally. I've no doubt we have brothers and sisters on both sides in uniform right now engaging in violence. I mean, does that sit well with you? I mean, that goes back to that church world distinction. What are we doing putting our brothers and sisters into a world complex that where they might kill each other? That doesn't feel very good, right? It's worth wrestling with. A lot of people I've read on this talk about nuclear war as a specific. There's no, there's no way to avoid civilian casualty in a nuclear war. Now there are different levels of nuclear weapons. I, I once worked at a place that I, I carried nuclear weapons. And I, I remember getting the assignment. They, I had to go to a special committee before a colonel and say, 
Raise your right hand. Would you be willing to drop a nuclear weapon that could kill 100,000 people? I think that I, I can see a Christian saying no to that one, right? I don't know if my answer would be the same today. I basically didn't think we'd ever do it, so I kind of played the game. But what do you think about that? Does, that? does the sword of the state apply to nuclear weapons? On the other hand, we've got some great technology. We can be very precise in most cases. Is the best defense a good offense? That's that whole you know, preemptive attack. Really, you're defending yourself by attacking, or have you crossed a line? And then prioritizing defense and war and caring for the poor, I think that's a tough one. How much, how much do you spend? Do you just defend your nation and take care of your people? Or do you want to go be, you know, the police state of the world in the best sense of that word? Let's assume our country would only engage in just acts, which of course they won't. But what if they did? Would that be a right thing to do? Of course, now our people are going to, quote, suffer, clearly not compared to other countries. We're going we're gonna to fill that in the pocketbook, right, to do that. So is that the right thing to do? There's a lot of argument in Congress right now. Why are we sending money to Ukraine? We got people on the streets here, right? So, and then the real question then is, how do you as a Christian not go too far to take some Christian position that you don't have the right to say, but help your neighbor morally think through these questions? Okay, well, this is why someone might support that. Again, you want to go back to all the lessons we had the last four weeks. You want to open up this discussion to bring in the real focus of the moral issues so you can get to the gospel. That's the point. Sorry, we don't have time to talk, but... Uh, ask me about any specific questions you have. Um, if there are specific ethical issues you guys want to address here in a couple months, please let me know. We have some ideas already. But if there's one you really want us to hit, one thing that is the news right now, Ukraine with the maternity awards and stuff, it's one of the biggest places that they do um, surrogates. So I think that might be one of the ethical issues would be interesting to open up to talk about a, uh, adoption and surrogacy and I don't know how far we'll go. Birth control, who knows how far we'll go. There's, there are some really good ethical dilemmas, I think, in that, whole, in that whole situation. So I think it's probably one that we'll tackle. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we're, again, help us. Give us wisdom. Help us to wrestle with these things. Help us not to be so simplistic and cavalier. Help us to see that there are, there are depths to be plumb in your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. You not only give us your word, you give us the Spirit to give us wisdom to prick us in our conscience, to give us counsel from others. Help our church leaders as they wrestle with how much they should say or what they should focus on. And help us to love our neighbor, not to avoid such hard discussions. Help us to be willing to throw ourselves into the midst of these uncomfortable things um, because we want to be with our neighbor. We want to be Christ in their midst. Um, and we just help you. you, you sh we pray that you help us know how to do that faithfully. And now, Father, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds for worship. Thank you that we can come together every week. We can separate ourselves in some way and concentrate on you. We pray that your word will come to us mightily. Uh, thank you for the table, and thank you for fellowship. I thank you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.